0: If I have the guts to record beatboxing,
1: was that snare? Hell yeah! What? (laughs) That's the snare. You're
2: hitting the snare. Yeah.
0: Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode 78, Tulene Kanaj Tantra, Authenticity, and Eye Contact. Tulene Kanaj openly discusses her experiences with Tantra, explaining what it is, what it means to her, and how it relates to her goals with Lovecraft Collective. She shares her thoughts on the power of eye contact, radical honesty, and interpersonal communication. Tuline delves into her love of climbing and her relationship with movement, sexuality, and how the two are connected. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine.
1: I'm the guest today.
0: Tuline Kanaja is an all around mover, a dancer, rock climber, trisuse, and earned her degree in athletic training. In addition to her movement practices, Tuline is a certified, authentic tantra instructor, teaching holistic healing of body, mind, spirit, and sex. Tuline considers herself a sex activist and is the founder of Lovecraft, a sexual coaching and empowerment collective. Welcome, Tuline.
1: Thanks for having me, Craig.
0: Tulene, I've done two or three episodes so far, and I really think that you are probably the person that I have clicked with the most readily. Like you walked in the door, and I think it took us all about two milliseconds to like make the first joke to tell lots of really inappropriate jokes, which we didn't record.
1: Whew. Inappropriate to whom? Anybody else other than
0: the three people in this room? (laughs) Okay, all right. I mean, my wife probably gets all. She's like, oh, my God, you told her the joke about the... Yes, that joke. No, actually... (laughs) Yeah, no, we're not going there because now we're recording. There is a joke that I will never tell. Tracy just went, oh, thank you. (laughs) You know the best part of, like, so behind every good man, there's a woman rolling her eyes, right? So that's Tracy. All right, so I was going to say, you're probably the person that I have clicked the most. And we even made this joke about, like, you know, maybe we're, like, separated at birth. And then I'm, like, looking at you going... You know, you kind of look like my dad's sister, like Aunt, my Aunt Carol, which is really spooky. <laughs> uh, let's see. So uh, I think that's all I had to say today. So should we wrap it up there? Yeah, yeah,
1: that's good. Um,
0: I'm Aunt Carol. Oh <laughs> no, no, I, you're not my Aunt Carol. Oh, my God. I'll, here's a fun story about my Aunt Carol. My Aunt Carol. So my mom and my parents, my dad and and his sister, they're, they're children of the 50s. Well, I should say they were. My dad and my Aunt Carol both have passed away, but they were children of the 50s. They got along really well, by which I mean... My dad once figured out that if he pushed the fork on his plate and made that noise, eh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: she would go like ah, and like flip <laughs> out. And when he realized it by accident, squeak, and she twitched. He went
2: squeak 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 squeak, <laughs> squeak, 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 squeak,
0: squeak, and she grabbed the fork out of his hand and stabbed him in the shoulder. And left the fork through his shirt in his shoulder. And my dad was that's like, metal. Uh, yeah. yeah, the adult, my grandmother and grandfather, at the table. And my grandmother looks across the table like we are at my grandfather and goes, you going to do something about that? Like my dad's got a fork (laughs) in his shoulder. My aunt Carol was back to eating and he goes, knock it off.
1: Yeah. you see what you get? Yeah. Well, no, just
0: <laughs> knock it off. Right. This is also the same guy. My dad used to eat the icing off his cake last. He would eat all the cake out, leaving the, the E of right. icing. Saving the best for
1: last.
0: If you rotated, it, it was a W, which was his middle initial. He would save the icing for the end. And then my grandfather would go, go see us at the door. So once, only once, my dad went to the door. When he came back, no more icing. That was my grandfather. Like, I mean, he's oh, really that's brutal. It. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, Why am I telling stories with my grandparents? Anyway. So, got gotcha you again.
1: My grandparents, too. <laughs> Great grandparents. Long lost cousins. Yes. Aunt Carol, okay. Oh, right. Doesn't that make the... <laughs> <She's>
0: <laughs> I was like, oh, you can tell a story about your grandparents. Cool. And then she's like, no, we're separated at birth. I forgot. <laughs> Why would anybody listen to this? I don't- <laughs> okay, so there are, for me, the biggest challenge is always figuring out where to start because there are so many really cool things. So let's just dive right in and unpack Tantra for us just because I think... So people know one of two things, nothing, or they know Sting, like, because Sting got kind of famous for it. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Well, how horrible is that. Men in so linen like, pants. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, maybe people need to look up who Sting is. I don't think Sting's dead yet, is he? I think he's still alive. Yeah. Okay. I think he's still alive. Anyway. So basically, I know diddly squat about Tantra. So can you just, like, put a pin in the map for me? The oh.
1: blurb. Yeah. Tantra means literally to weave light and sound with form. The light being visualizations of your chakras in your body sound being chance that you're making, and then the form being your body, your physical body. That's that in a nutshell. The way that often looks is meditating. The way a lot of people do that is they'll meditate and then have sex. They'll meditate during sex. They'll meditate on their own without any sex. Yeah, that's kind of that. Which means nothing, right? It's like a (laughs) cool and then what? Which is what got me into having a coach.
0: I was going to say, what did you, the two of us have been laughing so much that we're like sipping herbal tea and trying. <laughs> Actually, it is literally herbal tea. Look at that. It is. Oh, I steeped mine for way more than four minutes. It's
1: comforting ten. herbal tea. I'm uh. comforted. <laughs> this is why I don't need a pillow. <laughs> it's comfort tea.
0: So, what I was going to say is. What, uh, well, uh, what drew you to that, but also I'm guessing that you see it as a vehicle for helping others. And I'm just wondering if you can unpack some of like how you use it, how it helps you and how, how you've seen it help other people directly.
1: Totally. So in the intro, we say, in addition to the movement practice, I practice Tantra as well. And movement is inherently a part of everything human beings do for the mm-hmm. most part. So there's movement aspect of Tantra as well. I got into Tantra when I was 18 because I wasn't having what I considered orgasms, despite a pretty full sex life from a rather young age, what most people would probably consider a young age. And my mom had this book called Urban Tantra by Barbara Carellis. She's amazing. Um, and she I later learned she wrote this book during the AIDS crisis and was trying to find ways that were sexy for people to connect that wouldn't transmit the virus. And it was like, we don't have time to hang out on this mountain and get enlightened. But like, what's hot, what's not, and how do we practice connection using these methods? And that was around 18. I read some of the book and then on and off had partners that were more or less, mostly less interested in practicing yeah. it with me. And finally met someone who was like my tantra teacher. We were we were, we were were playing music together and he mentioned his tantra coach. I'm like, wait. There's coaches. I had just been reading books and <laughs> books like trying to find dry stuff. You know, I'm like, what is here, or there? And yeah, it turns out there was a coach and I met her. She had a coaching program and I found the website and I started crying. I was like, this is what I want to do. I had read this article, I guess, a couple years before about like how to find your passion. And the article was basically saying, you know, your passion is what you think about all the time, whether or not you get paid for it. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love guests who have like biting, like, yeah, the point of
1: me. Yeah, I mean, not not as a burn, right? But you love this. That's why you do it is your thing. And I hear the radio. That's great. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. We'll unpack the radio in a second.
1: I was like, oh, I want to help people with sex. And I want to heal sex. One of my friends when I was really young had made her sexual debut through the form of being raped. And that made me really sad for her because I was having really great sex in high school and really loving it and feeling really empowered in it. And she, we we couldn't share that experience. So I had known then. And then it kind of kept popping up in all these different ways of like, oh, now I can have orgasms. Oh, I'm not broken. Oh, how do I show other people that they're not broken? And then the way it looks now is, Integrated into a life where it's not just about sex and orgasm, although that's a huge driver because sexuality is a huge component of being a human, but it's integrated into like, oh, wow, that sunset is fully embodied for me or like, oh, wow, the way the trees are blowing in the wind is like...
0: (laughs) Did that just change? Like, why? Well, <laughs> so, I mean, like, she's that. So, where we're sitting, the sun is uh, drifting like across from my left, and there's a tree. And the sun in the last 10 minutes has started to come out of the tree enough that now the room is full of, like, dappled shifting in the breeze, sunshine. Apparently, Seattle isn't always like this.
2: No.
1: Uh,
0: but that's what everybody's saying. But I'm like, this is what it's like whenever I go anywhere. So anyway, sorry.
1: Thanks for bringing the nice weather with you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: taking it on Wednesday.
1: So. <clears throat> you actually are. It's going to start raining on Thursday. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, oh, I'm you serious. know. A, <laughs> <laughs> I planned this. Um, <laughs> so that's the way that's looked, and it's it continues to ebb and flow and transform as I imagine it to. That's, like, the life work,
0: right? Like- right? Yeah. Are you doing it as, like, a, an intentional, like, practice that you were hoping to develop or have already developed in a profession? Or do you do you go around, like, as a, like, randomly find people that you connect with and then go, oh, by the way, there's a tool for to help you? So, like, whether you're, you know, you're doing it as, like, an amateur or you're doing it as a professional, do you see it as something you would, like, no, I really need to, like, train more people to help lots of people? Like, how...
1: So the reason why I called Lovecraft Collective, Lovecraft Collective is because I have this idea that once I <clears throat> teach, or coach, or work with somebody, that they're a part of the collective. And not that then they will be able to offer services under the name, but that if we're bringing this healing to people, then they're a part of the mission.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The mission. Well, but, yeah, the drive. I, I think I to like, mean, yeah, though. they just want to create more harmony and people that are embodied and loving themselves. And so... I do it for money, so that makes me a professional, although I feel rather amateur most of the time.
0: <laughs> it's okay. I have no clue what I'm doing either. <laughs> Cue more herbal tea.
1: Raise the pinky, <laughs> but that's none of my business. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you make an audio meme? Does that transmit?
0: Um, I don't know.
1: We'll find out. We're going to find out. Hi, right? Miguel. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> I just want to make sure we have done the of thought was why I paused
1: Money. Yeah. com. Find me, talk to me, yes. pay me. I will teach <clears> you. <throat> and also when I meet people, if they're interested and I'm interested in them, I'm happy to teach them, but it is money as energy as an exchange of this is how I spend my time. And this is how you spend your time. And money is the currency for how we spend our time right. and energy with each so other. It's an accounting form.
0: What is it actually like? How does it really work? So when, when, if you imagine a client, do you is it individuals or do you like say, okay, this is what I'm going to teach you, but you're going to bring a friend like, or is it?
1: Oh, fun. Yeah. Well, I, couples are my favorite because they are with a friend yeah. and I get to coach them through practices with each other. I also take individuals, male, female, in any gender, trans Vagina owners, penis owners, whatever they call themselves. It
0: does seem like, like at first, like my first reaction is like, okay, that's pretty progressive. But then I'm thinking, well, actually, suppose one was transgendered, or one had recently realized that you were trying to live the gender that didn't fit who you really felt you were. Where's the manual for that? Like, how do I make the transition? And being able to go talk to someone, to spend time with someone, to interact with someone, to be sexual with someone who maybe understands, like, oh, here's the role that you're missing. Like, it seems like it's not. It's really not just about sex. It's about helping them understand who they are or who they could be.
1: Yeah. And just about being embodied, like here, sit with this and develop a pleasure practice. I don't, I don't know if you're intending this, but I don't ever claim to like know left or right female or masculine or anything like that. Tantra is about like balancing those energies. However they show up for people is how they show up for people. But I just think it's important to, we do, you know, they call it yoni massage and linga massage I still like the word pussy. Like, it, you know, there's no, nothing is sacred. Everything is sacred.
0: Right. There's something about certain, and I always wonder, like, it doesn't translate from language to language, but there's certain words in English that have a, um, a visceral energy to them. And that, like, if the word is overused, then it would like lose that. But being able to trot a word out like that is like, ah, I really mean to convey this energy to this other person.
1: Totally. Yeah. And vagina means sheath for a sword, which mm-hmm. is very male centric right? Whereas yoni means sacred space. So some people are really drawn to that language. I'm a real straight shooter. I love the idea of tantra and Buddhism that it stems from and the lineage, the Shangpa Kagyu lineage that authentic tantra taught me from. And I'm, a, I'm into kink and I'm into BDSM and I enjoy the whole range of, is it phenomenology? phenomenological, like what's actually happening here and now mm-hmm. and our brains doing things metabolites are happening, neurons yes. are firing, you can call it energy you can call it as energy. woo as you like however you want to go.
0: Energy can just be a shorthand for all this stuff that we discovered actually makes it real.
1: Right. Science.
0: The beautiful sun that we enjoyed so much turned into a glaring ball <laughs> of burning gas.
1: <laughs> oh right. So but, speaking I, of...
0: Burning gas? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Touleen. Right. My name's Tulene and Toline is like a paint thinner. Sometimes people joke and call me kerosene or other things.
0: Oh my god, I had f- completely forgotten about Tulene. Like my grandfather used to have cans of Tulene. Wow. Okay, right. sorry. So burning we balls of gas, paint, right. But
1: also, um, highly pleasurable person to interact with. Hmm. So speaking of working with people of all different gender identities, the idea is really to work with people to develop a pleasure practice because our lives are so full of shit. Like, all of us, right? The human experience mm-hmm. is, like, this, like, shitty ball of burning gas and also this beautiful sunset. And so we – I like the blueberry analogy. If you're eating a bowl of blueberries, right, and you're, like – they're next to you and you're not looking at them. And you blueberries in your mouth, blueberries in your mouth. And then all of a sudden you pick a roach up and you put it in your mouth. Next time you go to the blueberry bowl, you're like, holy fuck, I don't know if it's going to be – <laughs> there might the blueberry- only ever be one, one roach, roach ever. in the right. whole bowl, right? But, like, what does your brain – Go to every time now you think blueberries, it's terrifying. Right. So, it's kind of the way we treat all our negative experiences. So, the idea of Tantra in its like kind of purest elevator speech that you asked about the weaving light and sound with form is to develop this blissful counterbalance,
0: Make a positive outlook rather than focusing on the negative,
1: or at least an amount to balance the scales. Right.
0: I'm still stuck on ball of burning gas,
2: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> but I'm actually stuck on it because I, I tend to wander into movie land. And when I saw the Lion King, the first one, one—is there's a second one, right? When I saw the first Lion King, the definition of old age, by the way, is when you take movies you like and they make another version of it.
1: We're all getting old now. Yes. Well,
0: yeah. When I saw the first Lion King and they're sitting in the grass at night looking at the stars and I forget the character's name, but the little baby lion looks up and says, every one of the stars that you can see in the sky is the soul of a former Lion King. And the dumbass warthog goes up. Really? I thought, I was thought there were balls of burning gas billions of miles away. I lost my shit in the theater because it was so oh, yeah. funny. Like, you know, from the mouths of babes from from like the most unexpected places, the truth can be discovered. And now I'm just like, and it is really amazing that the ball of burning gas that we orbit and that gives us everything we need, like actually came to our interview and it interjected itself because another like 10 seconds, it's below the ridge line over there and I can put the window shade back up. Totally. So I don't really believe in, I don't believe in predetermined, like that kind of thing, but I do believe in serendipity, which was somebody's word from a podcast. Do you know what number?
1: 62. It's not uh, yet. Right? Do so, you ask us to pick words? N-
0: Yes, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, And all the listeners just laughed at you because they're like, oh, yes. This is running. Oh,
1: I just outed myself. I haven't listened to your podcast. That's good. I understand that
0: outing yourself is really important. And I think you did it in a really healthy way. (laughs) You totally owned it.
1: Own your fuck ups. Uh, yeah, uh, we're talking about that. Uh, I could uh, run away screaming, but here I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, actually, the
0: door's locked. You just don't know that yet. The, the little side joke there, that which all the listeners know, if anybody's listening, I don't understand why. Um, <laughs> but what you just discovered the first time is that there's this running gag where Melissa knows all of the numbers for the episodes. Mm. I, I can picture and remember all the spaces of the stories, but like if I ask her a random question, Hedgehog
1: 22.
0: It's 22. It's like she knows the numbers for every guest, it's cool. like off the top of her head. So, yeah.
1: I have magic powers too, but that's great.
0: Oh, what are your magic powers?
1: I mean, they're they're actually kind of similar. Tend to be memory recall, and I'm really good with dates.
0: Hmm. And the, the fruit,
2: or the
1: oh yeah, no, <laughs> I got it. I'm I sorry. do love dates, bacon wrapped and right. almond butter filled. If you haven't tried that, I highly suggest it. If you eat swine, but I like birthdays, and I think I think um, it's a way for me to chronologically celebrate things Mm. so like i'll for some reason remember the first day i went on a date with somebody or had a phone call the first time i talked to that person or Mm. because people in relationships are important
2: Mm.
1: to me
0: i would agree i think there's something about being able to remember specific details when there's an emotion attached to it good bad Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. it is so there's probably much more we could talk about tantra and we could talk about that but there are other things random you want to do like random fun things what is it about? Okay, so you, you said you have a good memory, but what's your superpower?
1: You'd have to ask my friends. <laughs> but I, don't have, I don't have access <laughs> what, to your friends. What is my superpower?
0: I mean, you could tell me what your friends would say your superpower is.
1: I guess if I were to list the thing that I like the most about myself, and I bring a sort of comfort to the room as being rather authentically expressed and unafraid to share things about myself in a way that I hope inspires other people to do the same thing. And I consider that a societal superpower.
0: Holy crap. Please do that everywhere. Yeah. What's the most interesting story that comes to mind when I ask you about eye contact?
1: I was at what I jokingly and lovingly called Tantra camp, which was our first retreat, I think, while I was in the authentic Tantra program, certification program. And I was meditating with My teacher. We were practicing this thing called the microcosmic orbit and I got lost. Some people call it the void, but it just felt like swirling dark colors making eye contact with this person, kind of in this forever place of being and being okay, both simultaneously of like everything is perfect and everything is right and I am right here and you are there and like... But also, like, where are we? <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, <laughs> like, where are
0: we? I know where I am related to you. but right.
1: We're like, what's even happening? And I, beyond the story, my, my theory around it is that human beings experience themselves through experiencing other relativity. Thanks, Einstein. Or maybe Einstein's late wife, unclear, who actually, women rolling their eyes.
0: Very astute. Yes. <laughs>
1: Did I
0: say that out loud in this podcast? Astute? No, no. Behind every good man is a woman rolling her eyes. Did I actually say that in the recording? Okay, it's hard to. <laughs> now you did. Now I did. Right. It's, it's hard to hard to remember.
1: And so there's something kind of magical that happens when you like we're making eye contact right now, and it's kind of silly. But if we allowed ourselves to like continue to make eye contact, well, oh yeah,
0: there's definitely an awkward right? zone here. People like at about we're now at about six or seven seconds, and it's like I really need to look away now, right? <laughs> right.
1: And like, why is that?
0: Well, because eye contact is extremely intimate. Like the old the euphemism is the wrong word, the metaphor of the eyes being windows to the soul. Totally. And there's also, I'm uh, sorry, are you done? Like I didn't, I don't want to cut your story Well, off.
1: I want to know why you think so. So yeah, go ahead.
0: I think that, all right, first of all, humans are really good at detecting eye contact. So my story, I have two of them real quick. 60 miles an hour on the highway. I'm in the passing lane. So I'm close to the median divider. I passed a car going the other way, 60 at least. So 120 miles an hour relative speed. I looked across the guardrail and a woman driving the car looked at me and it was absolutely clear in like a split second that we were making eye contact. And it was like the most freaky thing I have ever experienced because it was like, I felt like I should have went and had a cup of coffee with that person. Although I hadn't, like I couldn't tell you what color her hair was. I'm absolutely certain it was a woman and it was like... So that was one of the moments where I was like, boy, people are really good. Your story
1: is he- cooler than mine. I'm <laughs> like, that's a cool story. <laughs> no, I think you're, I got an even
0: cooler one. I don't think it's very cool, but here's a cooler one in my martial arts days. Uh, there's a kind of fall where you wind up doing a flip, they call it a break fall, doing a flip fall, but it can be done from different levels. So some people do it really low. I had done it at like shoulder height. So it requires basically jumping up to save your shoulder. So from like shoulder height, rotate and fall. So there's like a but of before you hit the floor, just a short split second. And at that point I was have been doing the martial art long enough that I could actually pay attention to the whole process and the torque being released from your arm and the comfort returning. And I did one of these on like a beautiful summer day and as I did it and flipped through the air, I looked out the front window of the school And there was someone sitting in a car because the traffic light had stopped traffic in front of the school. So this is 15, 20 feet to the front, glass out the front, across the sidewalk with people walking on it in like the other lane. And this person looked at me and we made eye contact and whack, I hit the floor. And it was just like this... I actually remember smiling and they right. looked at me and, like, kind of smiled back. So, like, there was enough sort of getting at recognition. This. Not only could we see each other, but recognize that there was not just another human, but like two humans. I think their first instinct would have been, like, oh my God, that guy's about to die. But then to see me <laughs> notice them and smile, smile. Yeah. they were like, what? And then, no <laughs> the way, they drove. And I jumped up and, like, continued what I was doing so these two moments there like are two of them like i should all i mean i could also tell stories about eye contact with my wife because i've known her for 28 years but that's how the, the the i can tell that one too so with the the first time we were introduced by name we were both in college and so there's this thing melissa is keeping notes and she's like Smiling and waiting to type. When she, we were like her at a dinner where we had a visiting professor, and one of our professors introduced the two of us by name, and it's like the first eye contact was just like electrifying. Like that's not so. It's all about eye contact. Well, in the beginning, it's all about eye contact. So I think it
1: continues to be all about eye contact in my experience. Although I haven't been married for twenty eight years ever. So
0: well, I haven't been married for twenty eight years. We've been together for twenty eight years.
1: But anyways, semantics, right? No, right. Okay, <laughs>
0: that's what I always say. People always say. Anyway, off on a tangent, Craig eye contact. So I think that because we are so good at detecting eye contact, it's, and like compared to other senses, uh, we're not nearly as sensitive. Like even like it's just, eye contact is like a thing. So when you spot that eye contact, it's like inherently electrifying in like your deep brain. So I don't know. I mean, that's just like, how could you ignore a sense that was that hooked up? Totally. I find I struggle with, and this just weirds me out, which eye to look at, like we're sitting close enough uh-huh. that like, if I look at like, you switch. yeah, it's like which, and then it becomes like this, I don't know, do I stare at one or the other? I'm like,
1: <laughs> So in Tantra, the left eye is receiving and the right eye is giving because the masculine and feminine sides. So from feminine is receiving. View, like right. This so, eye or that so that's eye. the fun one. If you want to be, you can think about it as your, oh, from over- your, from your eyes. Don't overthink it. <laughs> Cause you're but about you, to make it but awkward. You can, <laughs> Cause it hasn't been already. <laughs> I was pretending it wasn't awkward, but so much for that sham. You can kind of choose sometimes. It's something fun to play with and you don't have to go I mean, so you're back and forth. I, li- I like it
0: because you're messing with me. Yeah. So you can just stare at the third
1: eye. Right. right. But then you're not actually looking at them, right?
0: Yes, exactly. So if I, look, if I go like that, you're just like, knock it off and look at right. me. right? As I'm like staring <laughs> between your eyes.
1: Why are you cross-eyed? Uh, uh, that actually reminds me of a different story about eye contact. This weekend I was at the Folsom Street Fair hmm. down in San Francisco and there's a lot of Leather sex and kinky activities, and people doing them in public, and people watching. And there was a moment I was partaking in a scene with someone, and I looked up and made eye contact with somebody else in the crowd, and immediately lightened the mood. Like it was like I was in this kind of intense space and feeling somewhat humiliated, which is fine because that's what we go for sometimes. That's okay. And they looked at me, and they kind of giggled, and then all of a sudden, it was like this goofy, not so serious thing that was happening anymore. Like they saw through what I might have been experiencing as shame,
2: hmm.
1: and it became, oh, when I'm being seen in something that I think is shameful, and this person isn't turning away but is celebrating it and like enjoying it, it allows me to then kind of like fall into more of like, a, oh, this is okay. And I think that being seen by people it creates a lot of that for yeah.
0: Be, being seen, I. Was just talking to someone who was talking about, and now I'm trying to figure out who it was, but I can't remember, about being like radical honesty. So like, mm-hmm. what would happen if, I don't remember who that was, what would happen if when someone asked you for money on the street, if instead of saying, sorry, and like moving on, if you said, I'm choosing not to give you money, like what would you have to do to be able to be that radically honest to them? Um, and that might be the right thing to say to them. They might be like, well, thank you for being honest. I, I don't know. I never tried that. But what you're saying about being seen is like, maybe no, I'm just talking through my hat. I maybe part of what is uncomfortable about the interaction with somebody who asks you something, which would really be a small task for you to do is you literally don't want to see them. They see you cause they're you kind know, of, and, and you're like, I don't want to be seen by you. So I'm going to turn my head and say, I'm sorry. I'm not suggesting everybody give every dollar they have to every person who asks because wow, my head is so full of stories. But
1: sometimes it's just about making eye contact with them and saying, Hey, I see that you're living on the street. You're not totally invisible to me. I don't think giving you money will solve the problem, Mm. but also I see you as a human.
0: Right. Your question. I had a guy when I was in college, I had a guy ask me for 20 bucks to buy a bus ticket. And I think I was just too young and naive to realize that people might ask for 20 bucks to go buy meth or something like that. Right. So he asked me for 20 bucks. I actually didn't have 20 bucks in cash, but what I have is a credit card. And I said to the guy, just like actually, honestly, and open, I said, I, I don't have 20 bucks. To, like who would ask a college kid? I said, I don't have 20 bucks, but the bus station is only three bucks away. I'll walk over and buy a ticket. Like, yeah. and he, and he went, you got me and walked away. And I was just like, oh my God, you were going to steal 20 bucks from me. I was like, so naive. And it was one of those situations where I deployed radical honesty with having without having any clue that there right. was even a thing. I was just like,
1: Oh, I'll give you twenty bucks.
0: <laughs> and he was just like, Ew, Well, there. and
1: that's why like kids say the darndest things. what you were saying about the Lion King earlier. Yes. It's like along those lines, right? Yes. Yeah, the old circle.
0: Mommy, did that woman swallow a watermelon? And and like everybody thinks it's funny and it's embarrassing. But like we all pretend that women aren't pregnant when they both they swallowed a watermelon. Like it's this is just a natural part of life.
1: Right. Or like we're trying to have a kid instead of saying like we're fucking all the time. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, but it's actually become common enough now that, that people can actually be like, this is a problem. Like this has gone from being fun to be like, this
2: is a chore. There's like <laughs> Mark's
0: on the calendar and I, I'm i working late tonight. You know, it's like, yes. Yeah. And that can like be, I, I have, I have friends who, for whom that was an issue. And it seemed to be that it was actually a biological issue related to like, I don't want to say parasitic load to make it sound like really bad, but like they wound up having to go like on a retreat and they like totally changed what they were eating. And it was like, you must take a vacation and like three weeks unplug this resort, like a really expensive thing, but it worked for them. And it was just like an interesting, for, I knew that I, I know them, the, the, I know them well enough that when I heard um, one side of the story, I was like, Oh wow, that's like really an issue. And mm. like, you know, they had literally tried everything and it was actually becoming an issue for their relationship that they, right. they weren't able to achieve this thing that they wanted to achieve. So, so-
1: I don't know those people, obviously, but stress. I mean, that's one of the other things inside of Tantra, inside of movement, inside of, right? Like, why do we go move our bodies? Why do we sit with our bodies? Why do we intentionally breathe? And so much of it comes down to stress. Hmm. Relief. Relief from, I'm looking around the room, all this shit.
0: (laughs) Hey, I know what you mean.
1: (laughs) I mean, this is nice. This is great.
0: This is nice. (laughs) Have a bite of chocolate while I look at the time. (laughs) We haven't really touched like your movement background. I'm not sure if you think at this level that would rise at this point that would rise to a level of even being interesting. But if you do, we could talk about maybe yeah, how you got into parkour
2: and what your thoughts are on that.
1: Parkour is a shorter story than my movement practice in general. I well, I'd been interested in parkour for a while and was really scared to go into PKV. And then by the time I looked it up, I saw that the gym had closed, unfortunately. And then I am a climber. I've been climbing for God. That's a hard thing to say. Oh I'm my, a climber. Just oh like my
0: God, <laughs> I, I, I fancy myself a climber. I've done a bunch of trash.
1: I love trad. Mm-hmm. Trad is my heart. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm the follow, of course. I'm not the lead. I, I you know, I climb with guys who. It's climb, scary. Uh, well, uh, going second's not scary, but the the lead. But the guy that I climb with most often, he can climb like 12, and I, I fall mm-hmm. off it. My red's like five nine. Like oh, yeah. six has never been there, but he falls off 12. So the two of us are like team invincible. But he does tell stories of like, I went to set a point one, and I thought, yeah, Craig's coming after me. Let's figure out how to Put right, a point so two and, heavier. <laughs> put a point two or point three in there, <laughs> and good. and he's always he looks. Like He's like when I started climbing, I never used to worry about rocks breaking. But he's like when I know you're falling and <laughs> stuff, Craig. I'm gonna. Think Where about- do you climb? I don't climb. I haven't climbed outdoor. Last time I climbed was I think two years ago. I was at the Red uh, Red uh-huh. River Gorge.
1: Oh, is this mostly sport down there? or There's trad too.
0: Yeah. Well, there's trad too. Sorry. Off we go on a tangent. Here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just geek out on climbing. So, uh, guy's name is Mike. Mike has like a climbing van and he was working in the Midwest climbing he actually had a job climbing cell phone towers installing gear that was oh, yeah. like his job
1: what's his last name
0: oh god if you know Mike Boyer I'm gonna freak I don't out. know
1: Mike Boyer Whew. no the climbing world's real small especially in trad
0: yeah so oh, he's actually an alpinist like it's were his even heart smaller lies. yes <laughs> even smaller and so him and I are great together because if I can climb it, he can lead it. Right. And his only concern is making sure that there's enough gear to like, you know, not kill phone, you, not kill me. Right. He is so light compared to me that we, we when we first went out to Boulder to climb with him. So Mike was doing the grungy climber thing in a van, Facebook, I see him, hey, Mike, oh, I haven't talked to you in years. What are you up to? He's like, oh, I'm in Boulder climbing. You should come climb sometime. And I'm like, everybody else. I said, Really? When? And then he's like, Seriously? I'm like, Yeah. So I, I went to a local climbing gym every other day and To climbed, train. To train. <laughs> I climbed every other day. And it, like sometimes it would be like three routes. Like I'd climb three routes and my fingers are coming apart, go home. Right. Come back two days later. The guys are like, Seriously? I'm like, Yep. I wasn't kidding around because the only way I knew I was going to live was if I got some strength and, you know, start building the, the 10 strength minutes. to weight ratios. Yeah, Yeah. it's still not sufficient for me. And my strength to weight ratio is like negative. No, it would be like 0.007. So, Mike, I got them, and we did a whole bunch of sport climbing to start. Um, Should we leave? Should we drop breadcrumbs? Like, sport climbing is when you go out to a rock face outdoors, and some people have installed the wheelchair access ramp, which looks (laughs) like looks like that's
1: mean for sport climbers i'm
0: sorry but
1: (laughs) there's hangers on bolts yes
0: they they drill holes in the rock Mm -hmm. put a bolt in with special epoxy and then there's a little bracket hangs off there so you can as you climb up the route you take a a little thing you clip it in so instead of having to um the other version is what's called trad which is traditional wow this is gonna turn in like a climbing podcast (laughs) so and you can speak at any time traditional climbing is when the climbers work as a team the lead climber places safety equipment little Cams or nuts or shims or all kinds of doing things into the rocks without marking or damaging the rocks, no chipping and drilling. They put something in the rocks and then they add the safety rope hung through there and then they climb onward. So if they fall, they fall all the distance to the last piece of gear. And then they continue falling at least that far because they brought 10 feet of slack. So they're going 10 more feet. That's right. Then they fall all the rope stretch, which is 25% of like something, but it's like 30%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20. So then you're on a rubber band. So if you are 50 meters in the air, you're getting another 12 or 10 meters of stretch. So now you have been free falling for 30 feet. And then the rope begins to catch you. And you, you want it to stretch like that because you don't want to get snapped. But Mike is so like, oh, sorry, so sport climbing, sport climbing, you can follow the bolts up the route, placing safety gear, it's pretty easy, it leaves no trace, and at the top, there'll be a special kind of anchor that you can rappel off of. So Mike and I did a whole bunch of that to, like, get our team feng shui going on our totally. communication
1: stuff. You trust.
0: Yes, big time. Well, we actually, ironically, we've been doing martial arts for like seven years, so we've been beating the shit out of each other. So you already trust each other. Yeah, it was already like we did the tantra first, so we were like already cool. (laughs) Um, Like he he tells stories of like, hey, you've grabbed me by the head and thrown me from shoulder height to the floor, so I was already used to your life life being in your hands. So trad is you have to build the play system as you go. And it's super fun as the second. When you're doing sport, it's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to climb up there and open all these safety clips. Boring. Totally. But as trad, the second climber has to pick up everything the first climber left behind. Cleaning. And the first climber has to choose the route. Yes, there's usually go this way, go that way, go this way. But the first climber is in like, you're just in open space with what they call the sharp end of the rope, which means there ain't nothing above you to catch you. The, the safety is below. And I love she's like, yeah, can we get to the fun stuff? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's sport versus trad. So I did a whole bunch of indoor, and all of you people who are climbing indoors, the bouldering is actually a more true, I think, a true form of climbing, because that's what the lead climber does. It just climb your hands, and and you're not doing anything else. Why was I unpacking sport versus trad?
1: Because you are not sure if your listeners know.
0: Oh, right. So, but why? Why were we talking about so... Mike. Yeah, no, it was about Mike, but...
1: I just asked where you climb, where you were climbing. Oh, right. So,
0: so, I went out to visit Mike in Boulder with like brandy new, like I showed up with a, a belay device that mm-hmm. was like unscratched. Mm-hmm. So Mike took one look at that and like, like it turns out the <laughs> gumby, yeah, gumby. <laughs> <laughs> so climbers, yeah. it's like uh, it's it's a whole world. So you'd be like strolling to the climb and. Everybody looks looks at your crotch and what they're actually looking at is the blade of ice. They want how to see shiny your how shit shiny is. or scratched totally. up your stuff Do you is. know
1: and what you're doing? Have yes. you been in it for long? I mean, it's like parkour in that realm of like. Yeah.
0: Are, are your pants frayed open in the back from dragging or do you have, you know, what do you wear? You know, how shiny are
1: those t- tennis shoes? And yes, yes, exactly. What kind of shoes are they? And yeah. Whose pants are you wearing? Yes. And You
0: know, like oh, scotchies like or gym shorts oh, I or like. I thought like, you meant, am I wearing somebody else's pants? <laughs> I was
1: like, what? Can I borrow your pants for this? <laughs>
0: so I climbed a bunch in Boulder with Mike. I don't know. That's like a boring story. Is that the whole story? I don't know.
1: I don't know. You got excited about climbing. We were talking about climbing.
0: Yeah, I got re- I got really excited about climbing. I need to. I've been Mike and I've been trying to go climbing again in the red. Oh, right. You asked if the red was a bunch of that's Chatter Sport. Chatter Sport, and I said it's trad. And there's not a bunch of sport, but if you're willing to walk into the woods, there is some amazing trad. And
1: it's all sandstone, no?
0: It's some of it's sandstone. Some of it it's a it's layer cake. So some of it is like granite on the bottom. Oh, we, cool. we found granite with like moss on it. Like here's a route in the book, and I'm like, geez, nobody's climbed this in 30 years. Right. right. Gorgeous stuff.
1: Cool.
2: Yeah.
0: But Mike is light enough that on a sport route, when he's just hanging clips, I can pull him up the rock face. Mm -hmm. So he like, he'll slip off and fall. And he's like trying to work a a red route, which means it's like right at his climbing ability. Red means you're going to fall off of it. So he's climbing on the red. And as the lead climber, you really got to trust your catch. And I can – you shouldn't do this. It's a little sketchy, but I can easily catch him if he hasn't fallen too far with one hand on the rope above me. (laughs) So a lot of times I'll I'll work the – I'm making a hand gesture nobody can see. So there's one hand that you're pulling down. You're taking slack out of the system, and that's the brake so you can hold it. But when Mike falls, I can actually – reach up with one hand, jump, grab, pull another armful of slack after having jumped up in the air, yank that all through with my other hand. So I'm actually So he's not
1: falling as far.
0: I'm falling and stretching the rope. So the first time Mike slipped off the rocks and I did that to him, he was, he knows how far he should fall and he fell half the distance and yeah, he was and like, like what the fuck? Wait. Yeah. Well no, he was like dude that was awesome and then he realizes like he's now he's falling off the route because normally wherever you're climbing you fall and you're a little off to the side so you can't get back on the route so he has to like you, this would be a chore and he goes I can see him reaching and all he needs is like six inches to just get a hold of something so I go you want me to pull you up and he's like can you, he goes can you do that I'm like yeah hold on one second like and I, like, I, I jump up and put my feet on the wall and like just basically repel right. my ass to the ground yep. and he goes up like six inches and he's like what that's awesome <laughs> can I have another one and I'm like I, know I have the slack, yeah. so we get along really well. One time, I fell off of a route, uh-huh. and this is not the same story. Like I fell off a route and I fell on a point one. Uh huh. Like, so if you look at me, I'm, oh, yeah, you should be not, Craig uh-huh. should not be falling on yeah. a point, point. that They come in sizes. The real pieces of gear are like one, two, two and a half, three, four and a half, blah, blah blah. And then they make like these. I don't know why you're sticking them in, it's a fraction, but it might be worth something. like stuck a point one at like a crux of a route, and as I'm trying to get around the crux, you get the barn door, and I was just like, I'm gonna fall. And like maybe the third rule of climbing is when you know you're falling, just own it and not get hurt. And I yelled falling right as he said, don't fall on the (laughs) point (laughs) one. So as I fell and I hear him yell, I'm like, Oh good. So now I'm falling at the point where, and then the danger is on, um, not it was so like much. a
1: pendulum fall.
0: Yeah, it was like a pendulum swinger on a rock. Yeah. And there's a couple, whole bunch of dangers in falling, which would be uh, you can lose your footing and swing and then bash into something. We're, we're in helmets, but you can like still break an arm or something or get upside down and dumped or whatever. Um, that one wasn't too bad. It was just like a scuffy thing. And then actually around the other side, I should have just jumped and swung around because it was way easier on the other side. The right. crux was getting around this outcrop. So there was that one. Yeah. So... I turned this into like a climbing podcast and you and I were talking about like real stuff and now we're talking about climbing. So what's your favorite climbing route that you've ever done?
1: Well, I climb at Index, Washington, which don't publish that because nobody go there. It's horrible. (laughs) It sucks. Don't go. Index sucks now.
0: Why does it suck?
1: So that people don't go. Mostly,
0: oh, oh okay, oh so so basically, ge- gear blows out. It's all sandstone.
2: It's
1: and, just man. choss. It's yeah. horrible. <laughs> it falls. The rock falls apart in your hands. No. Um, <laughs> and you know, this summer I went out to Washington Pass, which isn't far from here. A bunch of alpine climbing with my sweetie, and we did the South Arete of South Early Winter Spire. Mm. I think it's a five six. It's super mellow. We pitched out the first couple pitches and then just soloed the rest, and it was like. It was such a good time, just movement over rocks. I don't tell people I solo often because they, they usually say... People freak out. Like, like Alex Honnold. And yeah, shit, climbing without what? a rope. Yes, like free solo, n- exactly but like not that? at all like that. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly scrambling over yeah. like pretty chill rocks, but you don't have to deal with the rope and all the gear. And it's like, I brought up climbing, so I was talking about my movement practice I've been climbing for four and a half years. And then I said I was a climber and then I got sheepish because like it's hard for me to say I'm a singer. I also still have imposter syndrome about climbing. Oh,
0: my God. You clearly are a better climber than me. (laughs) Do you lead or do you follow?
1: I do both. Mostly Mm. follow. This year was more about leading. Mm,
0: Because that's a whole different skill set. Like how did you go about learning? Nobody else cares, but I care. How did you go about learning how how to set pro?
1: So when I first Sorry, got taken how to, out climbing, it's
0: protection. How to set protection. protection pro, yeah. <laughs> set pro in the
1: <laughs> When I first got taken out climbing, I was I didn't realize that the people I was climbing with were very very strong climbers, because <laughs> as a total gumby, right, you just don't know what's going on, and they're telling you to do these things, and you're like, yeah. this is normal because you don't know any better. Yeah. So within my first year climbing, I was climbing trad with folks mostly following. And I was climbing at an ability level that I could do on top rope that I still have a hard time leading. And so this year I was putting the ego aside and really just wanting to do the thing to know that I could do the thing. Mm. So a lot of like 5'8 and 5'7 and 5'9 and a lot of crying and like being scared and allowing that to happen and inside of Dating somebody, I was actually surprised how many emotions came out in ways that didn't when I climb with other people because it's a whole other level of being vulnerable uh, and I've intimate with somebody. A lot of
0: people climb as couples, so you, you I find people who, you know who are clearly a couple in addition to being out climbing, and I always wonder whether that makes it better or worse, but probably makes it better. Well,
1: I think it depends. I've seen couples have absolute shit shows, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. he's like, the, the man will lead, and me. he'll yeah. be like, and he'll be yelling, and she'll be like, I can't do it, and he's like, just try again, and yeah, it's yeah. like just this be horrible better. kind of, know, just I reach higher, mean, be taller, get and get you're longer. like, just. Just shut the fuck up, up and, and go home. And off like, the rocks, right? right? Yeah. Like put Wrap her down off
2: and call it a day.
1: Yeah, or the other way around. And it's the woman who's strong, and men have ego trips about that. And it's not. This isn't. I mean, obviously, not all men, right? But uh <laughs> not all people. But I've also seen great couples go out and do amazing things together because they trust each other and they move fast and they have years and of they experience. Know and they know each other and right. they they work each other's strengths and weaknesses and and that's really really fun.
0: That was one one thing that Mike. Hey, Mike, you're in a podcast. One thing that Mike. Mentioned after we had done a bunch of routes in trad, he's like, "Yeah, it's actually really challenging to figure out how to set protection for you." I'm like, F-. "You know, I mean, like, and some of this stuff, my, my my mother would just freak out." But some of this stuff is like, I don't have enough curse words to curse for the duration of the fall here. I right. mean, like, this is like you could parachute off this thing. I mean, it'd be pretty quick jump and throw, but like, it's a long way down. So, you, like, you don't ever even consider falling. You're you're just like you assume that things are going to go right. And generally, you should never fall, but. If, that's old school yeah but the well, gear's
1: better now my friend when i first started climbing i was really scared following a route and uh wouldn't let go of the rock to fall on the rope and he said
0: oh yeah mike made me do that he's like okay dude fall like he, he'd lead and he'd be like right. he sets up a belay point and he's got the friction device hooked into the belay and he's just like take a dive now And i'm just like no He's like <laughs> fall you yeah know.
1: so the uh the saying was the sex used to be safe and the gear wasn't and mm. now it's the other way around. Mm. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way to put that. Yeah. So I thought that was, uh, it was apt. I let go and the, the rope caught me. But it's a whole, it's a whole nother head game and bouldering, you mentioned bouldering earlier, I feel like is the most similar to parkour in the realm of like the fear about falling off of stuff and kind of the zero margin for error at a certain point at a certain height. Yeah. I have
0: never bouldered in a gym, and that's a that's a different. It's sym- a totally to different <laughs> story. I don't anywhere.
1: I don't like bouldering outside so much because of that, and it's been a heady thing for me to develop, and it hasn't been something that I've been that interested in. Partially because the ego game, <clears throat> and I see some people that are really good at capturing that mind space, doing these big descents, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I have done my best this year, too, is being on the sharp end of just trying to enjoy the movement, just like wanting to enjoy... Moving on rocks and like I mentioned kink earlier, I think rock climbing fits in some of the same realms of like masochism, mm. of like I'm gonna jam my hand in this crack and I'm gonna crank on it. It's gonna fucking hurt and like and then I'm <laughs> a, I'm gonna crank on it and then I'm gonna stick my other hand in this crack and we shove my ankle in there and twist on it and so stand that bone up is, yeah. and like you know just like I I've done a lot of climbing shirtless and naked because right. I love the way my body feels on the rocks and the movements and being outdoors the and rocks like
0: rocks are so tactile. Yeah, there's such yeah. there's definitely like a uh, I'm not gonna say it's erotic, but
1: I guess for okay if you. I go guess there. That, I mean it, yeah, it could be yeah. But like feeling feeling rock on on skin, it's like being out in nature. I know there's like the this whole group of people called ecosexuals. They really get off on being out in nature. I wouldn't identify as an ecosexual. I think mostly because I have a hard time with labels, a mm. lot of labels. Mm. But yeah, just like getting your. I mean, I think men have an easier time of being shirtless in public, in our world in Just general. Just because of how it's
0: socially constructed? Yeah.
1: But like being wedged between rocks or climbing trees and like feeling... I think it's another level of tantra, another part oh, of tantra, right? There's, of like <laughs>
0: there's definitely something about squeezing up a chimney. So if you're yeah, uh, chimneys, or if you're climbing between two vertical, like imagine trying to go from the floor of your closet to the ceiling of your closet with no shelves in there, and one way is just push against both sides, and like the further you go, the scarier it gets, because if you slip, then you're in a meat grinder all the way to the bottom.
1: And- <laughs> you taco, yeah, <laughs> 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 exactly.
0: And one of the- oh, that's horrible.
1: I haven't heard that in a while.
0: <laughs> one point, we were climbing like. It might have been like five six. It could have been five five. You know, it was like the, it was basically the approach to the fun. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, uh, styling it out. You know, like, this is the best climb ever. Right, right. And Mike looks down at me and goes, what are you doing in that chimney? <laughs> There's, like, hand holes all around the side. Right. And I'm, like, working up a chimney <laughs> with a backpack. <laughs> I was having a moment. It was great. Because
1: it's fun. Because the movement is fun. Like, yeah. when I was a kid, right, I climbed doorways. And yeah. we had a pull-up bar in the doorway. I mm. climbed the, the doorway to get up to the pull-up bar and do some stupid shit like let go and try to get my chin to catch me. I don't know. I learned the hard way. Oh, I didn't do that again. Ouch. But you're always exploring and yeah. playing, and I think climbing and I mean parkour, plays into. There's
0: there's something about I don't know how much about a wild dead beat horse. There's something about you were talking about hand jams and and foot jams and hand jam is how do we explain that? Imagine a crack in the rock. I don't care which way the crack goes, depending on how much of your hand you can get in, it's either a finger jam if only your fingers fit, or it's a hand jam if you can get in like past your knuckle. And then the trick is you stick your hand in there. The, I'd like, I hope nothing's in here because you right. all, you can't see. It's like above your head. I hope nobody's home. You know, you put your hand in as far as it'll go. And then you basically make these like Vulcan, you know, nerve pinch shapes with your <laughs> hand. And you try to make a jam. So if you bend your fingers, now they don't fit to come out. So if, can you're you hang,
1: camming your hand in yeah, the crack. Can
0: yeah. you can you hang your whole body on your middle finger? You're going to find out. Or, or if you can. So I have big, meaty hands. And Mike will yell at me, just use your hand like an axe. Just chop it in there. Whack, you know, and then make a fist and you'll be fine. But there is something, it's much easier to jam your feet in because you're pushing. So mm-hmm. you can point your toe in, and stick it in there like a wood wedge. But there's something, it's one thing to climb up rock when you're grabbing and you're on the outside. And there's something, I'm not quite sure what it is, about when you jam your hands or your feet into the rock, it's like you stick something <laughs> in there and, and it's like, whoa, oh, it, like it really is. It's
1: like a thunder jacket. You know, like when dogs get scared in the oh, right, right, a lightning right, right. or lightning right. coat, yes. right? There's like this, there's this, it's like the comfort pillow. Mm. There's something about being surrounded. Yeah. Some people really enjoy.
0: And you can, you can just tell it's like, you put your hand in there. You're like, nope, nope. And like everything matters is your hand or your fingers horizontal or your fingers on an angle. Which way did you rotate your hand? Right. Thumb and down, you, thumb up. Yeah. And you're like, how many fingers And like, push, push. And then all of a sudden you go, yes,
1: that's locker.
0: And then, and then, <laughs> and then you just, you make the hand and like, I'm not, I'm not in as great a shape as I was, but I, you can literally hang off it. If you stick oh, yeah. one hand in there and if you have the strength to hang from a fist, you can, I'm, I'm like making these gestures in the air. <laughs> if you lock your hand in there and hang, you're like one with a rock. And unless yeah, so. you, unless you, the, sometimes the pain starts like, cause there's no tape on your hand, but if you do it right, it doesn't even hurt if you can find, but you might have to move your hand a millimeter. Like, ouch, oh
1: yes. Right. And it depends on the rock, like yes. sandstone softer than granite yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But
0: at the red, sorry, go ahead.
1: I like how excited you are, though. No, I'm not. Um, there's an aspect, right? Like pain-free, and sometimes the pain is good, and sometimes. Do
0: well, the <laughs> people you climb with yell at you
1: if it sucks? Climb faster! <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> no <laughs> I'm going to yell that next that's time. That's what Michael says to me. That's hey, fantastic. Because I get stuck, and I'd be like, "I am." Yeah, like,
0: "Sucks." He's like, "Can you see a nickel? Like you know the so the um generally speaking, if you can, the edge of a nickel. If you find the edge of a nickel on a piece of rock." you should be able to stand up on that. You can put right. your shoe on it and right. stand up on that nickel. So he'll be like, you see a nickel? And He doesn't mean like a piece of change, <laughs> but I'm just like, yeah. He's like, well, stand on it. I'm like, well. Fuck you. you. Know? That's what.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't
0: sure that was the proper response. That's the one I use all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can come up here and stand on it. He's like, well, if you move back. Then- <laughs> um, so I got into parkour because I met Caitlin Pontrella at Seattle Bolding Project. Oh. That's the answer to that question.
0: <laughs> okay. Honestly, you're really good at pulling us all the way back there. Thank you. Terrific.
1: We were hanging out at the bar in Westwell Cafe and a friend was like, you should meet this person. She's really cool. We became friends and then I met Brandy Laird. And what was really cool, I think, about developing those friendships was that I didn't know who they were in the parkour community. Mm. And they said, come out and play with us. And you said... I was like, okay. And then I went to... uh, Yeah, total Gumby, right? (laughs) Totally. Just like my climbing experience, I started climbing with these people that were developing at Index and climbing really fucking hard. (laughs) Like 512 plus climbers. And I didn't... I just didn't realize because how would I know? And it wasn't until... I think it was AOR, maybe by the time my brandy was teaching in Rendezvous or something, and I saw some internet stuff, and I was like, oh, holy shit, Like this person is a very respected, (laughs) well-renowned, like world-renowned coach, right? right? And she's my friend, and I know her as friend before coach. And I think if I had stepped into PKV before that, our relationships would have been different, which is just kind of an aside about friendships and how they develop and what you know about people, what you think you know about people, and the way we treat folks that are at certain levels of you know, pedestal or no pedestal or are you a human or or, yeah, how vulnerable can I be with you or do I look up to you in this way for this thing? And that was really cool seeing that side of people that I had become to know as friends Mm. and not as coaches, but as peers. And now I do parkour and I see the world very, very differently in terms of what I can play on or how I can I think parkour changed my life in the greatest way. I have two nieces and a nephew and my niece last year had bacterial meningitis. I know she almost died at three weeks old. It was five weeks old three or five weeks old and i went down after she got out of the hospital my sister had to go back for some follow-up appointment and my sister left me outside of the hospital in the parking lot with a four and a half year old and a three-year-old and i was like oh fuck we were talking about kids earlier and i was like shit i don't know what to do (laughs) how am i supposed to entertain the little people in a fucking parking lot i think if you stand on them they don't run away (laughs) And that would have been my answer before, but I had just been learning about parkour and they were rails and they were benches. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, it's superhero practice time. Do y'all want to be ninjas or what? And I was able to like auntie Tuline, my way into entertaining them for almost as long as it took for my sister to come back outside almost an hour. And
0: now of course she hates you because now your kids want to know, her, really? her know where they can <laughs> go learn parkour. Way to go to
1: Oh no. Mm. And I think that's, that's some of the magic of parkour and movement mm. and changing the, the mindset.
0: Mm. As much as I would love to go back to climbing, that was a great, like that was a really fun interchange. So I'm just going to remember that as like, I remember the time when I got to
1: him, like, oh, <laughs> We can still bring up climbing. It's huge in my movement practice. I mean, I climb weekly. Oh,
0: Might um, make me feel like a total
1: blob. Anyway. You can climb again. There's, I mean, I think I, I, and, yeah, yeah, I, no, there's nothing that's fundamentally <laughs>
0: broken that says I can't climb other than the fact that I'm overweight. Anyway, okay, non sequitur. <laughs> so, since you are, I'm going to say, attuned to like interpersonal communication, physically and emotionally, and eye contact, what are your meta thoughts on having conversations like this with headphones on?
1: is your mouth open? I can't see it because the mic's in the way.
0: <laughs> yes, it was like, um, like the way Grover would go, like ah, I don't know. Um,
1: I actually, I really enjoy it, and I've been every now and then looking at Melissa and then wondering like, to what degree I should be looking at Melissa because she doesn't have a microphone. And it's like, there's this kind of like, we're having a tea party and (laughs) she's like watching and hanging out. Um, It's like our exhibitionist conversation here. That's really why you do it. Right. You're you're an audio exhibitionist.
0: (laughs) It's actually a thing. I I mean, I think
1: hearing when people get a microphone and they can't stop talking and what do people love to do? We talk about ourselves. We're, I mean, we're human, right? You make that face, like, "Oh, really? Is it me?" But you, yeah, you hell me, yeah, it's you. You cut me deep, Shrek. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice rock. Um, August heavily. Why can't August be more like
0: parfait? Everybody loves parfait. Nobody likes onions.
1: <laughs> That's about as far as I've gotten with the train of thought. With the train of thought, yeah, the meta thoughts on on headphones.
0: So I've, got, I've gotten a little further than that because I, sometimes I talk to guests about this after the fact. And let's see, how do we unpack this so it is in any possible, like it is possibly in some way related or meaningful or useful to people who are listening. Actually, most people would probably be listening with headphones on. So we're both in your head.
1: We're in your head now. In your
0: head now.
2: I <laughs> don't <Gespr volatile> <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. You are way better at that they than I am They call
1: me too lean and I'm keeping the name Five foot two but I'm deep in the game You're staring at me trying not to feel the shame I see a Craig Constantine hitting the-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry <laughs> That was awesome
1: Thank you I freestyle from time to time I'm I- I was gonna say, far like, too sober right now
0: That was heard. way better than you just screwing around That was clearly something <laughs> that you do What well, I mean I was just screwing around I can make like one noise and I won't do it because you're drinking tea
1: Thank you and- <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would have been three for three. <laughs> I know. I just was like, I won't, because I'm just showing off. <laughs> but what I did before was was tapping on the yeah. base of
2: um,
0: thumb
1: boxing, thumb yeah, uh, beating. So there's
0: thumb... a I want to say hand fetish. Like there's probably a name for like being fixated tactile, on tactile. Yeah, totally. And I definitely have that. I'm always like
1: ADD. I think. Is
0: it? I always like to say I turned my ADD into art de placement, my attention deficit disorder into art de placement. Totally. And I, I def, I mean, I was undiagnosed as a kid because I'm old enough to be before they invented the cool thing. We it had the, the, what is it? The DSM thing we were playing on DSM negative two at that time. Right. So... Oh, well, s- speakers, sorry. Headphones.
1: I have a thing about that. Okay, go ahead, yeah. go, 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 go. Well, it's just like coping mechanisms. So we talk about the DSM and that it's a disorder, 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 disorder. Mm-hmm. And it's a potentially useful discourse, I suppose, for talking about a wide array of symptoms that people maybe share, like all the people that have, air quote, ADD, share this kind of like, this happens in my brain when I'm doing mm-hmm. this X thing. But like, it's potentially just the coping mechanism you developed when you were young to survive in the world. Yeah. And if... And when my personal experience, the coping mechanisms I've developed that people maybe have names for in the DSM is more about discovering the awareness of and not being a victim to. So when I turn disorder into coping mechanism, I am able then to have agency and power around it. Right. So you were talking about your hand thing and then, yeah, you turned, you turned your ADD into ADD and that's your power, right? That's right. your, like, that's your art. Yeah.
0: Maybe. I don't so, know if I'd call I, it art, but I guess it's <laughs> technically art. I mean, um, it's French.
1: Yeah, Is so it okay. French? It's French.
0: <laughs> um <laughs>
1: Meta, thoughts on headphones? Did you have more? Is that where you yes, were going where, a little I mean, further I, there?
0: But I love, I literally love when guests derail me and like just turn left because I actually get sick of hearing myself lead. So I try to rein it in. But I had said that people are listening with headphones on. Oh, and, right. And, we're in your head. Yeah. And that turned into, oh, no, that I'm sorry, it out. Sorry, I do it again. Because <laughs> 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 if you done it, I'd have be been like, <laughs> I went right back to it. Psh, this beatbox for an hour and a half. Because the cool part is nobody can tell me what to do around here. So, right. Uh, But people who are listening, why would anybody be listening? People who are listening (laughs) with headphones, you get a certain kind of experience. So I'm hoping that if you're listening on headphones, you've noticed that podcasts in general suck you in. And it's because I think that your ears work because they're connected to an older part of your brain. So when you hear something, it draws your attention. And when you hear people talk to you and they're in your ears, as opposed to like hearing it across the room, it's like you can't help but be drawn to that so i think part of the reason why podcasting works so well is that humans are really fix fixated are really interested in audio so there's one experience for people who are listening and then there's another experience for people who are listening to each other and like making awkward eye contact again (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's only awkward if you make it that way
0: <laughs> uh, I'll, I think you would, you would kill me in a staring contest every time please, I'm just going to close my eyes now, I'm not challenging you to a staring contest <laughs> but there's something about if you have a, so, you know, go to a jam or a cocktail party or something mm-hmm. and have a conversation one well, like I have a first date across, which is interesting one of the things I'm good at doing is picking tables so that you and I are sitting far enough apart so this doesn't turn into a first date like if you try to interview somebody and we're if we were like you know how this works if we each moved in a foot yeah. this would really be intimate whereas it is is, we're I mean we probably can just like we're like just we can easily touch across the table so we're like two arms lengths apart And this is like, this is cool. We can like screw around and it's like, nothing is serious. But if we were a foot closer, Mm -hmm. it'd be like, okay, this is a little serious. We're getting close to being in each other's personal spaces. And I think the head, I really am coming to a point. I know you're not looking at me, but the people are going fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. (laughs) That if we were any closer together, it would be awkward. So the headphones bring us closer together. You are literally in my head and I'm literally, literally,
1: literally, literally. (coughs) Literally, mac and cheese. Literally. <laughs>
0: that's a really good British accent. I can't do any good accents.
1: I think that's the word, though. That's the one, right? It's literally.
0: Literally? They
1: say it differently. I don't know. I'm not. I think, I I think they do. They, like those people. Gosh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> those people. Oh my God. So,
2: do you and ever. It's
1: It's the same as like when you're in a car or you're listening to music, you're jamming out, your windows are up, you're in like your own little spaceship and then you like pull up next to someone else and they're jamming out in their car and you're like, yeah, I see you, I see you dancing and singing. (laughs) Busted, right? Yeah, (laughs) totally. Or like turn around, blow a kiss and keep doing it, right? Oh, I gotta
0: remember that one. Except I don't own a car anymore.
1: You could blow kisses to people in cars.
0: That would be weird.
1: <laughs> it <laughs> Just might be stand weird. standing in my front yard. My different my, societal expectations yes, for stand
0: us. Standing for around sure. my front yard in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> I actually have a really good. Oh, Sam. There are so many stories. I have a really good Miss America wave. Smile can, and wave, yeah. Smile totally. and wave. I, I once inadvertently wandered through. This is another true story that I don't think everybody has heard. I once once inadvertently wandered through a Miss America pageant warm up. Like wandered through fifty women. Like I mean, they were all like they're in like in their full pants. on. Oh, no, no, they were okay, in like sweatpants right. and stuff. This is like a practice. So it was like, and from the top, one, two, three, and I go through the middle of the room. You know. <laughs> And people were like, what the heck? It was a long, complicated story of how I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Actually, I didn't go through the middle of the room. I went by a big open doorway in an area where nobody was supposed to be. So like 50 women look at me and I'm just like, oh, this is awkward both ways. I'm not go. I was pushing a big cart full of computer gear trying to find some place in this. When, that, when I eventually came out of security, they were like, how the hell did you get me I'm like, right. on the wrong side of the thing? <laughs> you, yeah, like,
1: was, you should be asking yourselves that question.
0: <laughs> that was the thing. They're like, oh, well, yeah, I'm like, you know, good thing there's not a bomb in this push buggy, but I was smart enough not to say that. <laughs> do be that still guy. be there, right? Uh, I
1: need to pee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and on that note, we're taking a break. Everybody better now? Yeah, we're here. Okay. We were talking about, we did climbing, and then we were talking about parkour, and then we were, oh, we were talking about audio, and I think we're kind of done... With the headphones thing. I just think it's an interesting. You don't ever do anything like yeah, in your in your practice, like, I mean, any kind of practice, uh, Tantra or BDSM or all stuff. Do you ever do anything with headphones? Like, is it ever like, here, I'm going to make you listen to Johann Sebastian Bach while beating the crap on you? Like, that, <laughs> like, some people, no, but I'm going to try it now.
2: It's okay. You know, so that, good. You know
0: well, where that's from? No. That's from Clockwork Orange. Is Not it? The, you know, they had like his eyes propped open when <laughs> right. they were doing you know, like making him watch Johann Sebastian Bach while mean? drugging him up to change his behavior.
1: I think it's similar to. The way I feel, I feel like bed is sacred space, like being in bed with somebody else, right? Like I guess I call it like pillow talk and I don't, that sounds so cliche to me, but having this space with someone else, like I wake up in the morning and then like, let's share some coffee together. And then it's like kind of talk and giggle and be silly and like, please pet my head. And we'll feel really close in this way that once we're out of bed, we don't feel this way anymore because it's like time to go back to real life and I have to go to work now and you're going to go do this thing. And I think that Creating space like headphones create a space.
0: Yeah, new space. Right. It actually takes away a lot of space and creates it. A-
1: right, right, totally. Arranges a bubble in the same way that maybe a bed arranges a bubble, or if you're meditating with somebody and you're making this eye contact with them. You're arranging this bubble, right? Of like, it's just me and you and we're right here and the outside world can get kind of swirly right. and you're dif- not focused on it. And- you win. <laughs> Is this awkward <laughs> for you? Like, no, it wasn't <laughs> awkward,
0: but it's just like the fight or flight response was kicking in. Of That's
1: like, really you, interesting. Are we overpowering me? Oh, I'm sorry. I see. Does, <laughs> no, I don't mind. But else,
0: <laughs> that was just the whole time she was talking. It was like stared, locked eye contact. And then I'm just like, I win. Look, <laughs> you win. I look down, right?
1: So- I do try to make, what's the word? A distinction between staring and eye contact. So, like, staring would be, right, like, over here, like, looking at you, I'm like, I'm going to get yeah, but you. see, that
0: looks so, like, that looks so innocent. This doesn't work in a podcast, but, like, that form of staring yeah. just doesn't seem to weird me out because I'm just like, yeah, you're obviously... F-. So, I think the thing is when you... Like, if I go, like, and I really stare at you or, like, yeah. if I stare at you, it's just so obviously fake right. that it doesn't... It just doesn't like, create
1: like, the vulnerable right. sense. Yeah, totally. There's the four-minute thing. Did you... There's a... It was like a questionnaire. It was like 36 questions to like make anyone fall in love. I don't know if you saw that. It was going around the internet for a while. Oh, yeah. I mean,
0: I, I did I, the questions I, with I somebody. We dated for
1: three months. I,
0: it's I, total BS, right?
1: Are you sure. I mean, they were great and I love them, but it wasn't going to last. So we did, then there's like a four minutes of eye contact thing you're supposed to do at the end of it. Oh. And I think that. Like, fuck all the questions, maybe it 's just the eye
0: contact. minutes of eye contact <laughs> like, right.
1: we were doing it via video chat, but like maybe it 's about just sitting down with someone and being seen when I find eye contact to go back to eye contact as you know you 're talking to somebody and they 're kind of like looking all around and they won 't look at you or settle down, and they seem highly anxious and you 're just like, "Whoa, can you chill?" Like, be here with me. Like, it's okay. I'm safe. And a lot of that I know comes from trauma. So that's not to, like, diss anybody who has a hard time making eye contact with people. Because I can also understand that neuroatypical people that are at autism and stuff, eye contact can actually feel physically painful. To the degree that eye contact creates connection for neurotypical people, it can create disconnection for a... Atypical people. people. So that's something when I first started practicing Tantra, I came across this article written by a woman who was autistic. And I was very, very grateful for finding it because I was like, eye contact, right? I was like, just fresh out the gates of like, let's do that. I contact thing, you know? And then I was like, right, you can't just like stare That's why you're like, you're staring at me. I'm like, wait, no, I'm I'm actually seeing you and like trying to be here with you. And I try to make a distinction there because i have played from the ego place before of like i'm big and strong and yeah you're gonna fucking look away from me and that's not a place of compassion and like connection and so having played in in the realm of darkness as you kind of as you called it earlier i think it's an important distinction to make
0: the other thing that's changed in this room now is what else is different it's darker. Yeah, it's basically gotten dark and there's, because we've been here, like we have been using this room for various things all day. There's only one light on and it's the one over the <laughs> table. So now, now it's like we're, we're in
1: the spotlight. I, I was
0: going to say a seance or whatever, like, but like the thing that's most lit is, I would assume your point of view too, is my face and your face. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's not even like there are other things in the room that are as easy to see right. as your eyes and your face. It's just like, okay. That, right.
1: It's changed yeah. that. Yeah. We're now like in the bubble.
0: Yeah. There's literally like a visual bubble with one interlocutor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: To Miguel, to Well, yeah, Wait, he, yeah, he's he a, not forgets, really here. But
0: there's a creeper in the room. Right,
1: right. <laughs> he's in the corner. We don't pay attention to him. Yeah, right. <sighs>
0: Maybe this is like uh, every 100 episodes or so, we have to do one of these like blow off steam. I don't know, this is weird.
1: That's good. Are we blowing off steam right now?
0: I'm, I maybe. I maybe like, like. So I came from Art of Retreat before this, and I did something like 24, 45 minute interviews in two days. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, that may have been a mistake. And part of it was because there were so many people that were out, out of retreat and we were capturing these little, they call them spark, uh, Caitlin calls them spark talks. Right. And the idea was to just sit down with each of the presenters and go over their material and try and find something to take away to spark conversation or movement. And Melissa like lined them up. So we were just like knocking them out and I am like number like, well, how are you doing? And I'm like, well, you're, I, I'm really doing good. How are you? Number 17. You know, <laughs> right. like numbers for everybody.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not a number. <laughs> right?
0: So yeah, there's a lot of those that I did in a row and it was good because it's really like it forces me to hone my my mm. skills to be able to like read them in as fast as i can and figure out what they want to talk about and and there's different kinds of interviews maybe this would be fun to unpack when i'm so like this interview that we're doing is uh, sometimes i will say i just let the guest off leash right. and i try to keep up and i don't mean like in a derogatory way although maybe you would really enjoy that i don't know but when we let the guest off leash and let them run then it's up to me to just try and not mess up what you're doing mm-hmm. and it can be really fun, but it can also go really weird. Like if the guest is expecting me, if they're expecting a certain role from me and then I'm just like, eh, hey, let's go have fun. And they're like, I thought you were going to ask questions. And right. Or if I ask a question, it's open and they're like, I thought you were going to give me some context. So,
1: okay. Well off leash. Uh, so I was at Folsom this mm-hmm. past weekend and I grew up in San Francisco and left when I was 17 and Growing up with such an open, I mean, really gay environment, I mean, topless people in parades waving at me from a young age and seeing my teachers in elementary school were gay and married couples and it was just part of life, right? It wasn't something I thought so much about until I moved to Montana where people were meeting their first gay person in college, right? (sighs) So coming back to Folsom as an adult, it's my first time going to the parade as, or to the fair as an adult and participating and being, it's almost like a homecoming where like when you, I, having grown up in such an open place, I took it for granted and then have been, you know, out in the world in different places and kind of forgot. So coming back and being able to experience this whole thing that feels like it's been an inherent part of me for so long that yet maybe hasn't hasn't been expressed to the, its full capacity as I had appreciate it was really, really cool. And what I find really interesting about, so I performed at something called Twisted Windows, which is put on by a lovely person named Shay Tiziano. And it is a subversive performance art On Friday night, I think, it's all night long, there's bondage performances and, uh, wow, a plethora of – there's someone on trapeze and just all kinds of cool shit. People self-suspending and puppy play and that's where people dress up like pups and play with stuffed animals and bark at each other. It's fucking the cutest thing. Uh, (laughs) It's just great. And the – yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. It's – well, two thoughts. So so the performance we did was – I was holding something heavy over my head for half an hour while taking on a lot of impact. It whips, heavy floggers, bites, right? This whole realm of Things sexual... Things you want to use your
0: arms to defend right. yourself,
1: right? <laughs> well, and by choice, as a sensual experience, right. and I, I am a masochist, I, I think that climbing plays into that very well. And holding something heavy overhead for half an hour straight is really intense. Just that. Yeah. Right. Just like, can you imagine holding 20 pounds over your head for half an hour? And I was just pouring sweat and I went so so meditation and Tantra bring on this space of presence and can get you really high, (laughs) especially, and more so generally in my experience when with somebody else and what I've found really cool about kink and why I'm open to talking about it here I have this idea that Tantra is supposed to be spiritual and it's serious and it's the right way to do things. And then having some more experience in kink and realizing that there's this level of connection and negotiation and all these things that need to be present, trust in order to let somebody to ask somebody to please hit you play this role. Yeah. And then their trust in you that you really want that and that they're not hurting you and that they're doing something that might be seen from the outside as awful is a beautiful expression of something that I had been experiencing inside of Tantra. And then I brought up Barbara Corellis earlier. She talks about that inside of urban Tantra. I think some people call it dark Tantra where they interplay the two things and the integration of that just into life. And so it's not just like, I'm going to sit here and meditate and breathe. It's like, I'm going to hold this heavy weight over my head and meditate and breathe and get into this space while getting hit. And that that can also bring me to this level of heightened... But there's something about the movement. That's why I want to talk about it. It's like, I'm watching this person move around me. I'm unable to move. And like, what happens when I shift my weight to this side or I get hit here versus there? And how can I breathe and move the energy to become something that feels really good instead of, ow, that was sharp? (laughs) Or you're trying to knock me off balance. And how do I, how do I like reel it in to be present? It was just fascinating. That's the, the off leash thing. The second thought I had was, oh, you said something. There were two thoughts about it. It'll come back to me.
0: I think we've covered a lot of useful things that will help people, I don't want to say like broaden their horizons, but like expose them to new ideas and maybe give them something to think about that maybe behavior that they might think of as. I was going to say atypical, but behavior that they might think of as atypical, or, well, it is,
1: or taboo, or subversive yes, tab- or transgressive, exactly. like, or as well, like
0: transgressive is a great yeah. word. Maybe something they think of as transgressive, they might reassess why they think it's transgressive. Mm, like, mm-hmm. why, why do I have a um, an opinion or a why do I think that it's true that you know this is wrong or that totally. you know, the things that are happening here are things that I shouldn't look at and they leave. And I'm just like, okay, that in itself is good, but I'm wondering if there's. If there's something that you think we can, and this is funny because I'm staring off to the right above you because I'm trying to like make my, for some reason, do you ever notice when you have to come, you like, there are directions to look when you're trying to think of something. So (laughs) I have now become like this whack job who's not looking at you because I'm going,
1: "Uh, I
0: need to find the idea.
1: Eye contact is distracting. Yeah. Go find the idea up there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What I was thinking, I'll just close my eyes. What I was thinking was, is there something that we can, I'm going to say challenge, something that we can challenge people to think about that might help them find places or ideas or spaces where they have an unknown bias. So I have known biases, everybody does, and like the reason to think of, think of something that you think, if you saw it in the public street, you'd be like, whoa, that should not be happening. That's an easy one to find. But I'm wondering if there are places where people might have biases that they aren't aware of, and if there's any thoughts you have on how to help people find those i'm really reaching here for like a ooh, what if we went meta meta
1: meta meta that's metal
0: and i'll just point out that you're no longer looking at me no
1: flat- <laughs> i am you. i'm thinking i think often down to the right often when i don't know what to say when i do know what to say i generally think up i think i'm hmm. clear someone watching me more often would have to tell me um <laughs> Unknown biases is like the, I don't know that I don't know a thing. Right. And I, that, right. that's a hard one to dig up. I think so much of, here's a great one. So when you watch somebody, how many times have you practiced something and, or you're telling someone about what you do and they say, I could never do that.
0: <laughs> All the time. All
1: the time. Climbing. I could never do that. Oh, what do you do? I could never do that. Oh, I just want to, even just like some, for some people it's, I don't want to say even, right? Because all movement is valuable. Sometimes it's a small jump and something that people that I look up to, I would think, oh, this is nothing and cake for them and it's big for me. And then somebody else is like, wow, that's amazing. I could never do that. And I think just try it. Mm. Just go try it. And you asked what my superpower was earlier. And I mentioned being inspiring and wanting people to go past what they think is possible or break down barriers. And that's why I consider myself, I mean... I consider myself a sex activist because I'm into the idea that sexuality is a part of everything we do, including movement. And I find it a really interesting line that we choose to draw. We say, sex is this. And it's, a, it's an incredibly transgressive idea to say sex is everything, right? Because then it's like, oh, I'm hanging out with my friends and I love them. And is that sexual? And oh my God, I'm gay. Or like whatever that brings <sighs> up for people, right? It's like a huge world right. of triggers. Or I'm eating this apple and it's so good. Or this peach and it's like dripping down sensual, my face. It's right. so sensual. And like sensual is a bad word, right? All of a sudden sensual is yeah. like don't.
0: It describes that it has senses involved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then to what degree do we sexualize that? And then people... Are, it's, I don't have answers for any of that. I just find it fascinating to ruminate on. And I think that the answer to a degree is to just go try it. So uh, BDSM or kink is a lot harder to watch than it is to partake in. So to watch somebody get hit for half an hour is a lot harder than being the person getting hit for half an hour because something else is happening. And I think in the same way that watching... I don't know a ton of parkour athletes, but uh, like Brian Reagans is a friend of mine and we've had some conversations about performance and mindset and then I'll watch some of his stuff and I'm just like, holy shit, dude, how do you do that? How do you keep it together? I can never do that. I find Mm -hmm. myself in the same space. And so it's like, okay, where do I start? How do I break that down? And how do I know that I feel a certain way about it until I go try and do it? And I think that's the best way to find your unknown biases is to like try things that interest you or try things that don't interest you mm. because like maybe they will, or maybe the thing you thought you were going to be into isn't the thing you're into. And that's how you meet people that expose you to new things that would then get you to discover you had a bias.
0: What's actually hmm. just by the way, I think that's a really good answer to what I asked you. I, did, I served you like a good luck with this and like <laughs> lobbed you a really weird question. And I think that there's insight there to in what you said. So thank you for that. Looking up and to the right again, I'm going to say, what am I, I always, I, I feel bad when I make guests wait for my stupid, slow lumbering train of thought. Um, <laughs> the problem is my train of thought is really fast and I run through like maybe right. dozens of things. And what I'm actually doing is I'm going, no, that's too trivial to ask you. Yeah. That's too trivial to uh-huh. ask you. That's a blunt tool. Um, did I feel did Sometimes I feel like, Certain people that I interview, I feel like I'm um, Clarice from Sounds of the Lambs and I'm trying to interview Hannibal Lecter with like the blunt instrument of the stack of paper and i like like it to the thing and then the guest looks at me and goes, you're going to dissect me with this blunt instrument? Um, so a lot of the, not that I often use blunt instruments on the guests, but <laughs> <there> are, <laughs> I just realized what I was setting up, um, but I just realized that at this point in our conversation, there is a... Uh, Now everything is sexual there's a ratchet (laughs) involved that we've been ratcheting up the conversation where it's like well we only have a limited amount of time to do this on mic and i'm like i probably have like one or two more questions so what should i ask and i just wasted 30 seconds i was thinking what i wanted to say first was what's a story that you can tell me about somebody that you admire
1: wow well my first thought is my mom, and then I'm like, "What stories there to tell?" <laughs> I can I can't even relate. When to movement? My grandfather passed away in February, and my grandma and him lived together. They're married, basically married for 50 years. They lived in Edmonds, which isn't that far north of where we are right now, and. I live here in Washington, Seattle area, and I work here. And my mom came up from San Francisco where she lives to handle stuff. Some of her siblings came out, but we're the East Coast people, or the West Coast. (laughs) West Coast, Best Coast. I can't say that to you, can I? We're the West Coast people. And so there's like all these expectations about who should be taking care of things and like all the kind of shit that happens, right? And you realize that we put, totally, we put the fun in dysfunction. And I had... I see
0: that. Do you really? <laughs> oh yeah, we put the fun back into dysfunction. You never seen any more
2: neurotic. I, I
1: didn't. I didn't realize this is an aside. I didn't realize how dysfunctional our family was until that happened, and then the coping mechanisms my grandfather had developed and his neuroses was evident because you're going through all their shit because they no longer can. And my mom came in, and at first. Wanted all this help, right? Because it's hard to be the person to take things on. Mm -hmm. But then at a certain point when you know that you're the one that's going to be doing it and you seem to have the way figured out and it's just too much anxiety for anyone else to help out. And she just like stepped into this role and we moved my grandma down to Sacramento. She's in assisted living now. She like broke her ankle earlier this week. I know. There's just like shit on shit on shit. But my mom has been just like she's the one. She stepped into the role and has put her life you know, she's not serving on my grandma hand and foot. And she's going up to check on her. And at the expense of her own movement practice, That's really was like when my mom was in Edmonds emptying out the condo going through 50 years of photo. I mean, like mm. all the stuff that life puts on people. And, you know, I'm like, Ma, I got to go to the gym. And, <laughs> you know, I'm like not helping you with this. I got to go climb or I got to go work out. I got to go move or I go, I go crazy because I need my movement practice is whatever i go dance at the gym or i'll twerk it I said, whatever it needs i need to shake the shit out of my body and like she didn't have that ability she had like a timeline she had to get the thing done and i just i admire the shit out of her for it for mm. putting her mother's well-being in her hands and choosing to be that rock fur mm. i think it's incredibly admirable Love you, mom. <laughs>
0: Thank you for sharing.
1: Oh, you commented on everything is sexual now, and I had a I had a bit about that. Um, do you remember saying that? I do. Remember All right, cool. I couldn't that. tell I'm, from your eyes. I'm wondering whether I
0: should be <laughs> regretting saying that, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I'm I'm Polly. Do you know what that means? Mm, no. I date more than one person at a time.
0: Oh, po- sorry. Polly. I, I, polyamorous, I, I, sorry. I, sorry, I, yeah, P-O-L, I thought you meant yeah. P-O-L. Hi,
1: my name's Polly. Oh, Polly, call me Polly, honey. <laughs> yeah, like that,
0: I was like, huh? Like, I did. I get the P-O-L-Y, I just misread <laughs> what you said. My bad, I really have bad, I really and do that's have
1: not bad a, hearing. That's not a come on, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I There's a lot of ideas I have that I think to a degree are dangerous because ideas can be really dangerous. I think if we were all just more open about everything being sexual all the time. And I think that in schools we need a consent and boundaries class of like how to set. And I think that's part of what parkour and MMA teaches people. I used to box right of like tapping out or like, this is my limit. And I think if we equipped people with the ability to say, you know what? it's this point, I'm going to remove myself from the room or please don't say that to me again. Or I really don't appreciate that kind of language in XY context. I recognize it's a big complicated world and it's not as easy to just say like, yeah, give people the tools and they'll use them. But I think for the most part, if we're able to just talk about it and say like, yeah, I fall in love with my friends. This is my personal, I fall in love with my friends all the time. And being poly, it's kind of problematic, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like wait, I could actually date all of you. I mean, you don't necessarily want to date me, but like, that's part of my personal way of living.
0: Milans, right?
1: <laughs> because love is so big. And when I've had conversations with people that are like, hey, I'm attracted to you. I don't necessarily want to date you. I just kind of need to get this off my chest because it would make hanging out with you easier for me to just like share with you this it's like intimacy and vulnerability of like I have this thing happening that every time I see you these chemicals are going on in my body and if I don't address it as a disorder and it's just kind of like this is what arises in this context and now let's deal with it I think if we were all equipped with a little bit more of that however we would learn that I'm, I'm not entirely sure how we mm-hmm. would spread that to the people I think that could go a long long way I think that's interesting. (laughs) I would agree that that's interesting. um,
0: So I don't know if you've listened to the podcast at all, but there's this thing that I always ask at the end.
1: Is it about a word?
0: It's about three words, three words. So I'll just throw it at you and see what you do with it. It's, um, and of course the final questions, three words to describe your practice.
1: Inconsistent yet persistent.
0: That's a terrific answer. Well, thank you very much Tuline. It has been to say it's been a pleasure is not right. The right it's like been pleasurable and fun and energizing and exhausting. And, <laughs> oh, I, mean, I mean, like exhausting thanks. is good. Um, it's been a, a wild ride, a fun ride. So um, a very different chance to get to talk, to talk to someone who challenges me and pushes me in different ways during an interview. And thank you for that. So it's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's You're been very a great time. Welcome.
0: This was episode 78. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 78. And I'll leave you with a final thought from C.S. Lewis. A perfect person would never act from a sense of duty. They'd always want the right thing more than the wrong thing. Thanks for listening.